This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, social media expert Jesse Miller helps us understand the impacts of Facebook outage. Plus, Hank the Hacker helps us understand the impact of the technology around it. Handy Andy Barrar, he's back with the miraculous news about his community garden and how that garden and others like it can bring communities together. This is so much more on today on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Shall we break out some glow sticks and uh, get our bell bottoms? There it is. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Time to get your groove on. Handy Andy Barrar, Disco Andy. I'm here for the jams. I love it. I love it. It is. It is. Boy, oh boy, one guy goes to Vegas, get the stories, and he becomes Disco Andy. That's how all this started. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Um, great, great to hear from you. It's, I'm happy to see that you're doing well. No, thanks. I uh, I don't even know what happened last week. I have to tell you, I absolutely tuned out of all things to do with work uh, when I took my days off, and I I actually slept, which was an interesting um, notion. I got up at eight thirty in the morning one morning, and I was like, "Hey, look, birds and morning." This was cool for me. I really enjoyed it. How have you been? What have you been up to, Andy? You've had. Uh, I'm guessing you're putting your garden to bed. I don't know. Uh, no, no. See, I had, I've been thinking a lot. Now, I realized that living on the West Coast, that I can take advantage of the fall season to continue growing. There are a lot of vegetables that will continue to grow, in particular, lettuce, kales, um, spinach. And those oh, are the things kale. that I love growing. So what I did is in the community garden that I had built, I let everything keep like keep growing until they actually seeded they flowered and they created seeds i collected those seeds watched some youtube videos to make sure i was doing it right but a lot of them fell back into the garden so by once it started raining again now everything is growing so it's almost like a self-sufficient garden going on and the Mm -hmm. neighborhood people are walking by and they're looking at it and they're, they're pretty impressed with it even like the tomatoes are coming out finally they're still green they haven't even gone red so um, I'm feeling good about that, especially after what happened with the blueberry bushes and that yeah. failed failed project. But I'm not giving up. I'm still going to continue with it. That was sad. And uh, you know, it was a learning experience, Shane. Like Is I always say, I'm, I make a lot of mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm become very comfortable talking about it, all the mistakes I make, because that's how you learn. And uh, I learned that blueberries, the first year, especially when you transplant them, they need a lot of water and uh, heat domes don't help in that situation. So those mm. two factors really contributed to that. But next year I will be a blueberry farmer one way or another. I told you it's happening. Andy Barrar does not like watering things on his own is really what that boils down to. He can talk about heat domes and watering systems all he wants. He can't stand carrying a watering can out in his backyard to water the blueberries. But I'm um, getting okay. very good at irrigation lines now. So well, that's, you are that's my new hobby. Th- I'm looking forward to having that conversation, especially when everyone's, you know, starting to plan what that looks like through the course of the winter into the springtime. And you are, by speaking of the fact that your garden is still growing, inspiring more and more Canadians to move to the West Coast and, and maybe move in with you, because it it is it's amazing to see where I am. In Alberta, of course, it, it's harvest time. I mean, the crops are off the fields now. There's some hay left over that's getting uh, bundled up, you know, into into the hay bales and all this stuff. So it's amazing when we look across the country uh, how big this country is, that's for sure. Now, with your community garden, did you find that – were people jacking your stuff this year like they had in the past? Or 
a lot of people were coming up to me asking me if they could take stuff because we talked about this, whether I should put a sign or not, because I was worried that somebody was going to just take everything because the kind of lettuce or the spinach that I, I was growing was perpetual. So you take a couple of leaves off and it just continues growing. So right. I didn't know how to communicate to people to just like how to like harvest the the garden. So I'm going to figure that out for the next spring. But a lot of people came up and talked to me and then they were kind of like part of the crew that was harvesting out of the garden. But we'll see what happens next year. You have also built this sense of community inside your neighborhood. That seems like a natural opportunity to talk about next door. The, um, you know, the, the do you find that it's really connected to people more? Because I mean, when you talked about doing the library, you sort of talked about doing one of those free library book exchange, uh, built, uh, you know, uh, birdhouse looking deals. Yeah. Um, you talked about that and you were looking to provide to the community. Now your folks live, you know, next door and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, community for you and family for you in Surrey is really, really important, but you've actually found yourself a bit of a, a you know, I don't want to say a home there cause that is your home, but I, I really mean it like a bit of a home. It's, it's changed. You know, a lot of it changed during the pandemic and being stuck at home because I was kind of like, you know, I can't go out anymore. So I'm just kind of like hanging out putting around the yard, fixing things. And and then after I built that community garden, that's when everyone started talking to me. And then I just saw this um, this study that Nextdoor Canada, so Nextdoor is like an app. It's kind of like Facebook, except it's just based upon your neighborhood. So everybody that's in your neighborhood would be in that app. And they did a study about how people's relationships were with their neighborhoods across Canada. And what they found was 71% of people felt more important to build connections in their neighborhood, um, you know, because of the, what happened with the pandemic. And you see this time and time again, people supporting local businesses. And when you look across the country, it was very prominent uh, on the West Coast. You know, you had 61% of Canadians, they said in general, felt they could rely more on their neighbors and their local community from the experiences of the pandemic. And I'm like a case in point because after building that community garden, that's when everyone started hanging out and talking to me and not going out, you know, my neighbors and the people around me who I never talked to before. Suddenly we are all friends because we're just going for walks and staying within our community. Was it just the neighbor ladies? Because you did start skipping outside with no shirt on. No, my, my, my yard is fenced. So nobody sees okay. all the, all the stuff that I'm doing, but um, I think next year I'm getting, so this whole, this whole fall and winter, I'm practicing all the moves that I'm like my weak areas of skipping. And then I, after I per, like perfect that, I think I want to create like a training, like video series that I could share to people on how to, because it's literally changed my life. I talk about it all the time, mm -hmm. but I, I $12. And you get excited about it too. As your friend, I got to tell you, when you talk about jump rope, you get excited to a different level of things. I mean, we've had lunch. We've talked about many different things. Um, but when you talk about jump rope, you get excited. I like it. It's fun to be around when you talk about it. It's just because like, you know, during the pandemic, I turned 40 and then I was like, oh, I wonder if you could teach an old dog new tricks. And so I was like, I'm going to learn a new skill. And I was looking for it. What am I going to learn? And at first it was like a new software. And then I was like, oh, I don't really want to sit down any more than I do. And then I saw this guy on Twitter. His, his name's called the, the Skipping Seek. 75-year-old guy oh, in the UK who I was jumping that. rope. Yeah. And I saw and I was like, wow, he's 70, in his 70s. And look at his perfect form and this jump rope. Yeah. So I was like, that's it. I'm going to learn that. And so I ordered one on Amazon. I went on YouTube. And every single day I kept practicing and practicing. I wouldn't give up. Got injured. 
got better, kept going. And yeah, like I said, it changed. now wow. it gave me a lot of confidence, Shane, that I can do anything. That's why the community garden, it just set this cascade of confidence that, you know what, I've never done that, but I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and try something new. And, can, I ask um, you a, can I ask you a turban question? Because you're more familiar with Well, you're more familiar with the culture than I am, right? Yes. Uh, That guy, that skipping guy, man, he must get hot. Now I've got my buddy, my buddy called Jeet. He wears one of the turbans that's um, it's it's the lighter ones. It looks more like a do rag. I don't know. I don't mean to do it a a disservice by calling it that, Um, but it looks more like a like a just a headdress versus a the big, uh, bigger ones. And I can only imagine, like, a guy who's working out, skipping like that. And Kaljeet's very, very fit. He does boxing. One of the reasons why he likes the um, the lighter um, headdress. But that guy went into, that must get hot. Oh, absolutely. And listen, the skipping seek, he's an internet viral sensation. And he, I encourage yeah. people to to Google. He's, in, he's out in the UK. He just ran the London Marathon. So he ran that whole thing with a skip rope in his hand and a turban on his head. And he's turned wow. 75. And he is like in immaculate shape, I have so to say. Impressive. Like, and so that's my inspiration. That that man changed my life when I was like, wow. And um, it, it, he inspired a lot of people during the pandemic. And he's raising a lot of money now for um, a lot of health initiatives in the UK. He met the queen. Like he's all because of a skipping rope, Shane. It's amazing. All because of a skipping rope. HandyAndyMedia.com is his website. It's theshift.ca. It's our website. I'm Shane Hewitt. Andy Barrar is here. And um, I know that Ryan is very excited to hear about this one. Ryan is looking at getting an e-scooter. I've been looking at getting a at least a pedal assist bike. I don't know if I want an e-bike, but a pedal assist mm-hmm. bike I think would be pretty all right. Um, you've got a story about a professional e-scooter racing league as Ryan hands in his notice for the shift. Um, oh, dude, I'm so <laughs> in. <laughs> Tell Guys, us about I, it, I, I'm, I, I think I'm going to go pro. So what they're, what they're looking at are these are these e-scooters. So basically it looks like a skateboard, but it's got one of those T frames for handlebars so that you could kind of hold and balance yourself. Well, these are very popular right now. I've actually reviewed... Uh, a whole bunch of them and you can find it on my YouTube channel and just go to my website, handyandymedia.com. And and they're very interesting because they come in different types of configurations in terms of some are really fast, some are really light, some have great suspensions, but there is no perfect e-scooter. But what they're trying to do now is create almost like a Formula One league where you race these e-scooters. So just like you have Formula One and you have these companies who soup up cars to make them high-performance vehicles, they're going to do the same thing with these e-scooters. Now, the speeds are pretty impressive. The ones that they can go on a straightaway can go about 95 kilometers. So this this becomes super dangerous because think about it. You're holding this. Well, the wobble, you think, you know, when you hear about like the, someone gets the wobble and they're done, can you imagine? Yeah. And so they're saying that the the guys who drive these have to be in impeccable shape because of the speeds that you're going and the trying to take the turns. So they don't, this is going to, this is going to launch in Europe and they're going to start with this one company. So everyone's going to have the same vehicle. But the thing about this, and I've been thinking about this, Shane, because I had this own experience is that the ones that you buy on the street, so Ryan, if you want to get one, the street legal uh, kilometers is 32 kilometers. That's the max speed that they can go. But I'm like, being me, being the kind of hacking guy that I am, I'm like, there's got to be a way to modify these. And so I can't be the only one. 
And so I like the fact that they're creating this almost league where these really nerdy guys can get together and soup up these these machines because that's going to help advance the entire category and the technology behind them, which will trickle down into the kinds that we use. But the more after reviewing these, I see them everywhere. Every time I, I look around, I can see them. They're becoming very popular because they're both affordable and it's a great way to get from point A to point B, provided that you don't need to carry a lot of stuff if you just have a backpack. It's a, a great transportation method and it might soon be a sports league in the future as well. Can I um, be the old guy before Ryan gets all excited about this? The one yeah, thing that's cool about e-scooters is that you usually just ride them on the sidewalk which you're not supposed to, but most people do. Because if unless there's a bike lane, you're on the sidewalk. But people know you're going to be on the sidewalk as opposed to the bike people, which are the, I'm a car, I'm a bike, I'm a pedestrian, I'm a car, I'm a bike, I'm a pedestrian. And when the bike lane ends and then they go to, you know, you know, now they've, now they're through the sidewalk and then they're on the, then they're on the bike lane and then they're back on the sidewalk and then they're in the crosswalk and then they're waiting at a red light because they're a car. You don't get that with the scooters. That's the cool part about the scooters. Well, what's I'm interesting is I reviewed the Segway, and I don't know if Ryan, if you saw the video on my YouTube channel. So Segway, the, you know, if everyone remembers the old Segway, well, they mm -hmm. have their own e-scooter. And this platform, you could actually carry two people on it. So Ryan, if you ever want to take your girlfriend for a spin, you know, you just jump on the Segway. I just, I, no, I'm too, I'm going to be completely honest. There are times when I'm on an e-scooter and I'm imagining I'm on a race and I think if I wanted to get here faster, I would do this and, I, and then I do it and I compare my routes to think if there was ever a race in Calgary, I would win because of how much oh I love it. But I drive like a maniac on those things when there's no one around. I can imagine. But right. I gotta take that corner tighter next time. Cause if I'm gonna get yes, my six dollar exactly frappy lappy coffee from the coffee shop in Kensington, oh man, I gotta take this corner tighter next time. That was way too loose. I lost half a second. Yeah, that's exactly you so I have, a funny, I, I have a funny I have a funny I have a funny e-scooter story. My brother, his name is Randy, okay? So he's only one year older than me. So we grew up, you know, playing all Andy the time. and Randy. Andy and Randy. So oh, he came over and um it was late at night and we're drinking scotch. And then I was like, oh my God, I got to show you these e-scooters that I have that I'm reviewing. And so we thought it was a good idea to go for a spin at this at like two in the morning. And so we're like literally like five-year-old kids again, trying to play chicken, going right against each other, seeing who's going to like chicken out. Oh man. Um, so yeah, these things are a lot of fun and it, it really takes a grown man and turns you into a kid again when you, when you ride them. Who chickened out? Uh, well, I, I knew I knew all the different models, so I had the fast one. So I I, um, I got Jeter. to check it out. Yeah, that's awesome. HandyAnimedia.com to check out the videos. YouTube background music. Uh, tell me about this one as a guy who used to own a background music company. So I don't know if a lot of people realize this, and I'm really interested in Brendan and uh, Ryan's opinion. A lot of people use YouTube to listen to music. So YouTube has the ability to have a live feed, like live video. So a lot of these different types of people are creating channels that are just live radio stations. And what's great about it is if you have a really particular genre that you like, like for me, it's like this retro synth 80s wave, which is like the cheesiest 80s sounds, like something that you would find in a really bad 80s movie, like the soundtrack oh, for that, that's the kind of music that I really like. And so I listen to live YouTube radios, but the problem with the YouTube app is that if you turn your screen off, that radio turns off. Closes, so for yeah. the first time in Canada, they're gonna release this globally, try it in Canada first, allow you to shut your phone off 
and still have that app playing in the background so you have that radio function. So that's a really great move. And I'm glad that Canadians are the first to experience this for free. Nice. That was always the biggest thing that annoyed me about YouTube on the phone um, was the fact that it would shut off as soon as you, even if you toggled out of the screen or the app, unlike uh, Spotify or something where you toggle out of the app, it still keeps playing. Yeah, I, I have YouTube Premium, so I just if I have music, I just turn my screen off and it's fine. But I haven't used the radio function yet, but it's neat to know that I can do that. It will be coming yeah. on November 3rd in Canada, so look out for that. That's a great feature that a lot of people have been looking out for. HandyAndyMedia.com is website. He also has a bit of a fail video coming about extension cords outside and blowing up. They will go on the Shift Radio Show Facebook group too. And once more time, it's HandyAndyMedia.com. Andy Barrar, thank you very much, brother. My pleasure. Talk to you next week. This is the Shift Podcast. Oh, you probably heard throughout the day today that Facebook was broken. Someone broke the Facebook. I don't know if someone tripped over an extension cord, unplugged the Ethernet. There was jokes aplenty offering Mark Zuckerberg uh, some technical support like, is your computer plugged in and have you rebooted your Windows? I mean, there's been an awful lot of fantastic jokes flying around through all of this. The reality is it looks like it's coming back and and um, a lot of people went without Facebook, but not only Facebook, all things to do with Facebook too. And here to help us understand that, Jesse Miller, Mediated Reality, Social Media Nerd, all around handsome fella. <laughs> You shake your head. You're funny. <laughs> That's good. I get nerd and handsome fellow in the same sentence. When I was a kid, that would not have uh, been uh, interchangeable. So I'll take it. Yeah. So did you miss your Facebook profile today? Not at all. And I'll tell you why. I've got one friend on Facebook. It's my wife. And uh, I use Facebook primarily for uh, the marketplace, a couple of community groups. But beyond that, I, I'm not a heavy Facebook user. Now, I do use Instagram, which is a Facebook property. And uh, I use WhatsApp for connecting with international uh, friends and family. But again, not a really big priority today. So I would say the biggest impact for me would just be my peripheral Instagram connections. And to be honest, I've seen my friends' dogs. I've seen their kids. Today was just a, a welcome relief not to have to see some of it. But um, in other spaces, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff professionally that a number of people rely on is connected to Facebook servers. And so even if you're using Facebook as a third party login, uh, there was some hiccups there. So that that, that, mm. that, that that part for me is interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about that part. So tell us more. Tell us more about these people that, you know, if you logged into Facebook, it gets you access into whatever service. How does that work? And and what was the impact? Yeah, so there's obviously a variety all from from dating apps all the way down to uh, to just verifying profiles, and, and and a number of platforms use Facebook because they say, you know, Facebook itself, we get it, we, we don't really want to be part of it, but they are the most the most verifiable platform to make sure that individuals online can be safe. So within that, when you think about business, there's a lot of businesses that are directly relying on Facebook as a whole. So if you're using Instagram messenger and all of a sudden, you know, Facebook then amalgamated everything into one space. So WhatsApp messaging, Facebook messaging, Instagram messaging, if you're running a small business, everything about your client base is communicating to you through that space. And that messenger platform is actually significantly better than potentially having a cell phone because they can get you right from your business page, your Instagram page uh, onwards to WhatsApp mute messaging. 
you know, it's interesting, like right now with my post-secondary students, I'm kind of challenging them about, about how we use social media. And so today was a great opportunity. But in a lot of places too, like Facebook is the primary communication tool for everyday communication. So like across Africa, WhatsApp is the number one communication tool. Like you don't see people texting on iMessage. You don't see people choosing to use Google Hangouts. WhatsApp is the only thing. And if this is a worldwide outage, communities just for everyday talking to family could be impacted. But primarily here in North America, we just kind of take it as a, oh, you know, everybody run off to Twitter because Facebook's down. Twitter posted the best, absolute best tweet today um, on the platform. And I think it said um, basically, hello, everyone, or hello, literally everybody. Oh, literally everybody. Yeah. You know, I'm a Twitter user and Twitter is my go-to for social media when it comes to information about the world. Like I'm I'm not a big advocate for getting info from Facebook because there's so much weaponization, but I really do appreciate how individuals use Twitter. And so when it comes to good journalism, when it comes to people that I think are are relative in my field, um, they are primarily Twitter educators. And I think it's an important space to be in. But one of the things that I thought was really fun today was just the creativity as well. I mean, I always like the, the, you know, the go-to kind of joke, but right now on Netflix, like the number one show on Netflix is Squid Game. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all these memes are popping up. And if you've been devouring Squid Game and you're kind of going, oh, this is perfect, there are parts of our pop culture that are so intertwined to these moments. And so, uh, you know, for me, you know, when, when we think about how you get these attacks, and sometimes if it is an external attack, it, it should be more concerning to us than just the joke that it's down. But the reality of it is this was a major, major failure on the part of Facebook when it comes down to whether or not internal or external in the sense of their security, because you could not find the website, which is insane for a company that big. Yeah. Is it good proof? I mean, amalgamating things and having one access point for people to find you in business or whatever is great. Um, I always talk an awful lot about we have too many jobs right? With updating your LinkedIn account and updating this account and that account and all the things that we do that keep us away from the real things in life. So it sounds great when you can amalgamate everything together. The reality is though, should we diversify a little bit on days like today? Is this a good reminder to not put all of the proverbial Facebook eggs in one basket? It depends on the business, I think. I mean, if you consider our businesses prior to social media, uh, you had a phone number for the business. You call, you've got a busy line. People would say, well, you should hire more you know, people to answer the phones or get a different phone line or add a call waiting, you know, whatever the future be. But that's where business emerges and develops with technology. So if you consider the idea that people are comfortable on, on Facebook and you, you want your customers to be there, why would you spend extra money to have a landline when you don't really need it? But for some businesses, that will be the backup. And that's and that's a fair space to be in. I'm sure some businesses today really did heavily re- revolve um, their email servers uh, in the sense that they were using them more so than they were before. But you got to remember, today was a really interesting kind of failure across the board, across the internet. Like Twitter did have a little bit of a hiccup as well. Snapchat did. TikTok did. So, you know, more and more, this is looking like exterior kind of uh, uh, influences. 
But when it comes to your everyday user, yeah, you should have a diversified social media portfolio. You should be in, in a variety of spaces to learn outside of your kind of affirmation silo. And what we see, especially with that misinformation piece and all the things that we've been talking about, and I mean, Jim, you and I have done this a number of times where we just talk about the, the way people absorb information. If somebody today was getting a little bit twitchy because they couldn't get on Facebook, we know it's because the only thing they were doing is ever being on Facebook. It's a scary notion when we look at this from so many different ways. I mean, not to be forgotten that Amazon, the AWS uh, system, they went down a year and a bit ago, right? They had some struggles and there was, they run an awful lot of e-commerce and stuff in the world. That was big, right? And I, I guess it, you bring me, Jesse, back to the notion of the article that was released today, that the coal-fired power plants in India have reported they only have three days worth of coal left. And they're in crisis mode. Same thing with um, coal-fired power plants in China. And when we think of marketplace in this global economy, I mean, just like Facebook, if it was some IT person who accidentally deleted a DNS entry or maybe someone from the outside got in or, 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 or you know, blocked everything, the reality is, is that we have an awful lot invested into this electrical digital world. And if a place like India runs out of electricity... Like, this is a big deal in our future. Yeah, but I think it's also similar to like the gas crisis of the late 70s, right? If you think if you think about the way that people would line up, or even most recently with Brexit, you know, in, in the UK, people are lining up for fuel. Um, it, it can become any industry where we rely on it so heavily. Now, obviously, there are conversations about getting, you know, our own natural resources to market and how that works. But that's part of that, I think, global reset in the way that we are kind of evolving out of the pandemic. Do I need to fly as often as I used to? No, more and more, more people are totally comfortable doing this by, by Zoom or doing a virtual event. So do I have to fly to Toronto for 12 hours and then fly back home? Well, you know what? No. And maybe my costs uh, uh, can change. My environmental impact can change. But in our, in our digital space, we are extremely vulnerable. And, and it's not just our, our banking systems or it's our, it's our you know, memory maintenance. It's the idea that we rely so heavily on these pieces. And most people don't even want to even remember their own passwords. They're just comfortable having them you know, through some kind of, uh, kind of auto login. So within that, we do need maintenance. And that maintenance has to come at a cost of actually diving in to really understand where your information is hosted, who hosts it, and what happens when somebody tries to leverage it. And these, these DNS attacks, I mean, these are huge and they happen all the time to business businesses where they get a ransomware that says, you know, we've got your website, you know, pay us $2 million, $5 million, whatever it be. And companies have to decide whether or not the cost of their business is going to be directly affected by the website going down. So for me as a business owner, I'm not too concerned because I'm small potatoes, but obviously Coca-Cola, obviously General Motors, obviously companies that are bigger and stronger will put millions of dollars into infrastructure maintenance. What does it mean for the everyday user to really sit there and say, well, all my photos are on Facebook. Well, if you don't back it up or you don't host your own cloud server, or when it comes down to it, you don't care to learn what those terms mean. I'm sorry, maybe part of your digital maintenance is the idea that you had a photograph printed, you lost track of it. And unfortunately, that's just where it goes. Is it worth saying and taking it to the place where I've got a raid drive in my office for all of my photos? I also subscribe to Google Drive for business, but I don't store my photos in Google Drive. I keep them on the raid drive. I become vulnerable here to fire and flood as opposed to lost keys, um, you know, lost logins, server somewhere else burning down, whatever. 
But we were always vulnerable like that. I mean, if you think about, let's say, the mid-2000s fires in uh, Kelowna, right? The, I think that was one of the last times we heard people say we grabbed the, the photographs and got out of the house. Right. Um, you know, that that became the idea that, you know, our, our migration to digital spaces and being able to have everything in one one space on our device was going to be the norm. And so we here we are, you know, 15, 16 years later after that point. And I don't remember any of the forest fires over the past summer where people are interviewed saying, hey, we, we were really worried about some of the you know more precious memories because the more precious memories these days are digital and can be accessed anywhere mm-hmm. the question then becomes when those things are leveraged for the wrong reasons and so yeah i host a server for more personal and professional documents in my in my residence in my office but the thing is is that you know the pandemic taught me that i don't need an office i i can work remotely i can be in virtual spaces and that's okay as long as i'm taking steps to protect myself so whether it's using a virtual private network to make sure that when i'm online i am making sure that i'm using double double encryptions to log in or when it comes down to it just making sure that something i think is valuable isn't available to anybody else um, not everybody thinks that way. And some people are very content to put a lot of their life online and have themselves vulnerable. Companies the size of Facebook don't crash. So this is very interesting. Well, they don't crash. And they also, if you, we'll, we'll get more of the technology details coming up here, but if they literally disappeared from the internet, like what all, you know how the nerds, they just type in code and you yeah. see them just like a bang out code and it doesn't make sense. And then the cursor blinks and it goes, blop, here's another line of stuff. Like that's how the nerds look at the internet. And they literally, there was zero response. Facebook did not exist on the internet today. There was not like unavailable. There was not busy call back later. There's not leave a message after the tone. It was, does not exist. Now, I'm happy that you're going to dive into the tech piece for your listeners later on, but I just want to highlight for layperson kind of terminology here. I think if you've ever walked through an Ikea and you followed the, the path, people know how to navigate an uh, Ikea based on the tour of it. But if you've ever had to run into an Ikea where you've gone counterproductive to the crowd, where you've kind of zigzagged your way through aisles, you know exactly what you're trying to get. Right. Now, what's happened here with Facebook today is that you knew what you were looking for. You knew exactly the spot it was supposed to be, but the item wasn't there. And so now you're running around trying to find somebody in a yellow shirt, trying to point out where it is. And none of that existed. Like you right. still knew you were on the internet if the Ikea is the internet, but that one thing that you wanted wasn't available. Now, Facebook is kind of like the Ikea of things in the sense that there's everything. But when it comes down to it here for most individuals, the way that you were trying to find your account just didn't exist. And that's really interesting because if that happens in a financial space, if that happens in the sense of government records, like those are kind of really big concerns that we should all be worried about, especially when we're kind of putting ourselves into these spaces of digital um, um, record keeping, digital identifiers. And when it comes down to it, just the idea that our, our backups may not be that secure. Yeah, well, talk about panic mode if uh, your bank went away, right? And one of the things about Bitcoin that I've learned in some of our conversations about Bitcoin here is that Bitcoin is so distributed with no administrators, right? And that yet, um, when you have Mark Zuckerberg who wants to do his own a cryptocurrency, just imagine if that were to disappear today and you had a bunch of money tied up in it. That would be a very, very, very scary notion. I, I do have a question for you, though. Actually, yeah. by the way, I have two questions. Um, I got room on my server here if you want to do a little trade-off for uh, some archives. <laughs> okay, I like that. Um, Good. The other question is, is, um, is remember the days when Facebook first started? And I don't know if you knew people like this too, that they were like, you know, oh, I don't save my pictures. I just upload them all to Facebook because then they're, they're there and they're saved. And then they realized at the time, they didn't know, that Facebook was actually shrinking the photos 
Yep. Ditching the original and only keeping the web-sized version to view way back in the day. And so those big high-quality photos that you had were now shrunk and gone. And if you went to go get the photo from the website, it wasn't the same quality of photo that you had in the very beginning. That was very scary for people. But that's something that's worth noting that just because you upload it somewhere doesn't mean you're going to keep the original. Well, and that comes down to the consumer themselves. Like when you what you pay for is what you get. And so if you're not paying any money to then host something, you got to really be aware that somebody else is going to um, decide how they just they choose to host that. So you had this big, beautiful photograph. Now you're at 400 by 400 DPI. That's why Flickr was so big. Like, I mean, a Canadian company, Flickr was huge in the sense that, you know, these photographers would really love the fact that these high quality, beautiful images were available and you could kind of curate your gallery that way. And then they sold to Yahoo and it just kind of got bad. But the thing of it is, is that, you know, that's, that's the idea of the value to us. We don't want to put the time or energy into knowing how to curate something in a healthy way. So Facebook makes money off of us putting it up there and they're saying, okay, we're going to shrink this down. And it's almost like your storage locker company taking all your stuff, smashing it to pieces and then putting it in a nice bag and saying, well, now you've got a lot more space in your storage locker. Yeah. Well, it's great that you said that. Cause I was going to say, we often don't know how to organize our own closets. Uh, let we expect to know how to organize our photos. And I was actually going to use the storage locker analogy from this perspective. We, some people go get a storage locker. They put the old furniture in there. They put a bunch of stuff they don't want in the garage, whatever. They go back a couple of times a year, but you don't ever really use anything. But if you're going to put all your priceless items or your photos or whatever in that storage locker, you're paying for that storage locker for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like your Google drive or your iCloud or whatever it is. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, if you remember that storage locker show where people would just bid on what was left over. After yeah, uh, storage Wars. Storage Wars. I mean, there obviously was a little bit of staging there in the sense of it. Good it, show, had, it was fun because you'd get, you know, just the, the characters, but it was like, you know, reality TV soap opera. But the thing of it is, is that like that exists, that industry exists. And so you're, you're always preying on somebody else's inability to maintain something. And that's where the true beauty of the internet could evolve. Like we could evolve an internet of things that really does allow for people who are marginalized or who don't have great tools for support to have readily available documents and information that tells the world who they are. Now, just as a note, and this kind of brings it full circle, when we talk about things like digital passports or vaccine passport, like the World Health Organization um, um, started kind of this conversation about being able to maintain digital records in, uh, in 2017. It was just the idea that if you had all these refugees, you had all these people displaced by uh, famine or Ebola or whatever it be, how do you allow an individual to show who they are in a healthier way? And not just the idea that they have some old paperwork that could be easily forged, but just the idea that there's this consistent digital record to show that this person has gone through a health questionnaire or this person has been supported in some way. And not necessarily the idea of tracking people, but just giving marginalized individuals the tools to not have to rely on some piece of paper that's falling apart. And so for us in Canada, especially those of us of privilege, this idea that our digital passport is some kind of intrusion on our lives and we have to show things, our passport does that already. Our passport shows our nationality. Our passport shows how often we travel, where we've been. And so these documents, this ability to kind of create something with good oversight can be something that makes the world a better place. Unfortunately, there's just way too much rhetoric right now putting individuals into these spaces where we think it's a bad thing. So for you as a person, for me as a person, I would say I'm not too concerned about my passport being hacked or infringed upon because the government will maintain that information. What I am concerned about is companies 
like Facebook being involved in that process, because if they, at the end of the day, are continual targets for individuals, whether it be you know, just hackers who want to get in there, or when it comes down to it, just they're not good curators of data, maybe they shouldn't be the ones who have the wheel. Well, it's great contrast to create between the two. Jesse Miller, thank you very much for that one. I always bring myself back to this, and we just had this question last week here on The Shift. Um, was a question about, hey, how do I get my old VHS tapes turned into digital, right? Well, the answer is you go to Costco, but the, you know somebody needs to turn those film into digital. And even though I had that done, I had old VHS tape, I was flying uh, aerobatics, uh, you know, airplanes upside down and all those things with a, a friend yeah. who was a pilot who did that. And I got it turned into a, a video file for my computer on a disc. <laughs> I don't own anything that has a disc drive anymore. And even that video file is rather out of date. So you have to remember it's going to be all changing anyways. You know what? And just as you end, I want to highlight this. I found a CD in, in, my, in my vehicle. And I, the thing is, my car doesn't have a CD player. <laughs> but I, I found this from my old vehicle where when you, you switch your car, you take all the stuff out. And again, a movie soundtrack from like the early 2000s, like something somewhere along the way, I was like, why do I even have this? But it took me forever in my home to find something that would play it so that I could even show my kids how it worked. And the thing is, is that just the joy of it, it was the old Blu-ray player. So to your very valid point, yeah, we use these technologies, they become gospel in our lives. We go to the video store, we return the VHS, we then get the DVD, we then get the Blu-ray, and now we're at home streaming. And for me, it is that idea of, if you buy something, you should have the right to keep it. And if you're giving something to a company, they should make sure that they're going to protect it. Wow. Maybe photos in a photo book isn't so bad after all. Maybe we could look forward to the day where someone says, I grabbed all my photos out of the photo book before I got out of the house. At least that works. I'm just grabbing all the USB drives. <laughs> Jesse Miller, Mediated Reality. Thanks, brother. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. This is the Shift Podcast. Okay, so... Facebook goes offline, Instagram goes offline, WhatsApp goes offline, all three of which I use. I don't use the Messenger much. I find that really silly. Although it seems like a great time to promote the fact that we do have a shift Facebook group <laughs> that was offline through most of the day. And uh, from Global, I shared a bunch of Mike Sobel's pictures since it came back. So, okay, Facebook goes offline. It told me an awful lot about myself and how often I open up Instagram. That's for sure. Here to help us understand what happened with the technology and all those things, Hank Fordham, uh, Centurion Cyber Defense. Uh, Hank the Hacker is here. And um, well, Hank, is it a hack job or is a someone tripped over the extension cord? Uh, you know, it, it could almost even be a little bit of both. But it, at this point, uh, it, it's hard to to clarify exactly if it was... Um, just error if this was another hijacking instance or if this was actually someone, you know, on the inside and then uh, a following cover up. But it seems like one of those things that I guess strange things happen, right? Like people forget to put the lug nuts on the wheel of the car before they drive away. Um, people forget to pull the gas nozzle out of the gas tank when they're getting gas before they drive away. Like silly things happen yeah. when we operate machines. But when it comes down to this one, this is one of those technology things that when you make changes, you most certainly double check. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. And I think this kind of speaks well on not only with, you know, changes within configuration for your, your setup, but, uh, 
you know, with bureaucracy and policy. And so, you know, all the companies that, that we saw go down today were owned by Facebook. And so what we really saw was, was called a border gateway protocol error or a BGP error. And so BGP is basically kind of like a phone book for the internet, but instead of phone numbers, you get IP addresses. And uh, so that that's what's going to tell your computer how to get data from point A to point B. And they've basically removed all of that, effectively removing their website from access to anyone trying to access it. Um, so usually you, you can probably assume this is a pretty easy uh, problem to fix. But uh, this time when Facebook took off all of their services, it made it so no one internally could even log in and, and fix it remotely. And it, it basically meant that someone was forced to go to the data center and fix the issue. But like we've even seen reported online, the people that know how to fix the problem are not the same people that actually have access to the credentials to get into the data center. Hmm. So no one was even able to fix the, the issue to, to begin with. And, you know, we've even, we've seen this actually happen a couple of times, uh, like in 2008, where Pakistan accidentally knocked YouTube offline. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you've got one guy who's got his, his key card gets him into the data room, and then you got another gal, her key card gets her into the server rack, and then you've got a third guy, and his password gets you into the server, but then you've got to have a fourth guy there who actually has the technology that can type in the correct path, if yeah. you will, or address uh, before. Is that, is that sort of how comedy of errors it's sounding? Oh, yeah, you're right on right on the path. And like in between all of that is a bunch of paperwork. <laughs> wow. It seems so silly. Um, technology, you know, there are some things about the internet that are quite simple. They are very much like you described, like a phone number. You yeah. dial in the phone number, it goes to a place. There's, I always kind of use anybody who's ever been a homeowner, you know, your address is 1234 Smith Street, but your city knows it as a plot plan number. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't actually don't really know your house by one, two, three, four Smith street. Um, there's a plot plan number for those. And then there's also, you know, GPS coordinates you could also use to find your, your lot, right? Like there are all kinds of different ways to find things. Some of them are very fancier than others. And some of them are facebook.com. So yeah. how do how do we, is this something we should be concerned about security-wise when we look at all things going on in the internet? Are there bad actors that get into this kind of stuff and screw it up? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think going back to the case in 2008 with Pakistan knocking YouTube offline, I think this is a really big, uh, you know, this is a pretty big, I guess, it, it's like a, I don't know, if, if anything, this is a pretty big alert to us that there, the problem with BGP and and the vulnerabilities behind it should be mitigated because it allows like if if someone can just knock YouTube off for the whole world, uh, what else can they do in terms of uh, and this has happened before with even China monitoring any like you know influential um, internet traffic so that they can pretty much eavesdrop on mm. everything that they're doing online. 
so bad actors. I mean, this is an invitation to do that. Is it is the BGP like you describe it? Is it a server that's somewhere else, or is it just sort of a line of code like an address on an envelope? BGP is like a it's a configuration and mostly served within routers, uh, you know, with an ISP. So they they would be who tells um, your computer through your internet, your internet service provider. Uh, you know, what IP address Facebook.com actually, or yeah, what, what IP address Facebook.com should lead to. So it's kind of like you said with the postal system and our addresses and, and law codes. Okay, so is this a good example of how big they are and how those apps, even though they're separate apps, they're not really separate apps anymore? Yeah, and I, yeah, I think you're right, and especially with how Facebook tends to um, buy or bury their competition. Right. And now we have, you know, Instagram is owned by Facebook, WhatsApp, um, even the Oculus gaming, like virtual reality system, was down today where users couldn't install games. And I, you know, I think that not only does that show us that we shouldn't be relying too much on these services, uh, but you know, it shows us that we shouldn't be putting our, you know, our trusted communications in the hands of uh, a company or a corporation. And instead, we should try and favor these third party open source apps like Signal. Signal is a really good chat app to make sure that you can talk anonymously with your friends. So if you don't like using Facebook, I mean, I don't like the Facebook Messenger app. I just don't like how it works. I don't like how it functions even. You know, I've used WhatsApp since when WhatsApp was free in the very, very, very beginning, right? And so, um, but really, fundamentally, they used to be two separate companies. They're not anymore. And it, it it is one of those things where it seems like it's safe to assume that if whether you're opening it up on Instagram or if you're opening up on WhatsApp or Facebook, really, you have three separate apps that really aren't three separate apps anymore. Yeah, and anything you're doing on there is getting sold to someone. And you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, if you're not on, if you're not selling or giving your data away to them, um, you're using TikTok or um, some other form of social media. I mean, even Twitter. Uh, so it, yeah, I think it it speaks really well to how you know we're kind of walking into an age of like conscious privacy, and people should be favoring these apps like Signal over an app like WhatsApp. Is it safe to say though? I mean, WhatsApp was its own beast before Facebook bought it. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Sig- Signal could get scooped up too. Yeah. It could. Yeah, I I mean, Signal is open source, so that's that's its own little cake, but uh I mean, that's the exact same idea as they could rebrand that and right. uh and it's happened before. So what about passwords? One of the things Jesse Miller had brought up, which was really kind of interesting, is so many businesses use Facebook's login services in order to get access to your website because, I mean, it's nice and easy. You already have a Facebook login. I mean, you're giving away a bunch of data to Facebook, but you save yourself a bunch of time and trouble with controlling who gets in and how they get in. As a security guy and a hacker, would that be problematic in a time like this when you're looking at the fact that Facebook basically flipped a switch and turned off all kinds of other companies that were using their login services and so much more. Oh yeah. And I think like, not only is that alarming, but what people don't realize is when you use Facebook to log into one of these third party services, you're actually creating what's called a session token. And so if I used Facebook today, 
to log into a third party and created a session token, then and Facebook went down and I wasn't able to access Facebook to log out, then that session token is effectively never going to die until its expiry date, which is generally years. And so someone could have full access to your account unless you changed your password right. without you even knowing. Like even so if like leaving the front door open, really? Yeah, exactly the same thing. Huh. That's a scary notion, Hank. Yeah, and you know, it, I think it, it also shows how Facebook should work on protecting their users better by uh, working on their link shim features and making it so that two-factor is a little bit more easier to enable and I think that they should kill session tokens or force users to log out at least once every 24 hours. Well, I thought of you the other day when my son's cell service went down and he's on the same service as his mom and they both had no service for most of the day. And I thought of uh, two-factor authentication. I thought, I got to ask Hank, what happens though when you have you know, a text for two-factor and all of a sudden your cell service goes down. Now you still can't get into anything. I suppose at least at least in that example, nobody can get into anything, not leaving the door open. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, I guess that goes for as long as that number isn't um, isn't re-registered. I've I've actually had cases where, um, you know, a number's been re-registered. Maybe they changed their phone number and left an old phone number on their account and someone's able to access that account because they now own the phone number or they were able to register the phone number and access the account because now they control the two-factor authentication. But it, it also doesn't knock out the, you know, the potential of while you're out and about and you lack that ability or, you know, privilege of communication, then you might have someone on the side trying to do what we call a SIM swapping attack. And that's where they'll call into your phone provider and they'll basically, you know, they'll hoodwink the technician into changing information or uh, basically giving you access to whatever data would go on the SIM card so that you can receive their text messages. And and this has happened a lot as well in, in the near near past. Wow. So Hank the Hacker with uh, Centurion, uh, Centurion Defense, it's, uh, is it a safe summary to say that um, really not a really that big of a problem turned into a way bigger problem than it should have, but particularly unsettling? Is that a safe summary of what we saw? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that um, it's not the last time we'll see it either. Oh, I wish. Uh, let's hope you're wrong on that one. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Uh, thank, uh, Hank, thanks so much for popping in and giving us some insight on the technology uh, behind all this. I really appreciate it, bud. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 